this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. For just a few minutes tonight, I want to preach on this subject, More Than Qualified. More Than Qualified. We're still in the book of Hebrews, and uh, in this book of Hebrews, everything that the Jews knew about getting to God came through a mediator, through a high priest. No Jew just ever walked up to God and talked to Him. Uh, They had to have a high priest. They had to have a mediator. Now, if the writer of Hebrews is going to present Jesus Christ to these new Jewish converts, these new Jewish Christians, if the writer of Hebrews is going to present Jesus to them as their high priest now, But it just stands to reason Jesus, at the very least, has to be equal to a Jewish high priest. If he's not at least equal to a Jewish high priest, then they're taking steps backwards. And of course, we know, because we've been in the book of Hebrews now for a little over two months, Jesus Christ isn't equal. He's better. He's better. And in the book of Hebrews, we learn that all through the book. It just doesn't get any better than Jesus. And for these Jewish Christians, they need to know now that because they've come to faith in Christ, coming to faith in Christ was not a step backward, it was a step forward. Everything about Christianity is better than Judaism because, listen to me, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Now, the whole matter of the high priest is still important. It's still important for these Jews. Uh, if If a man was ever to be made acceptable to God... There has to be a perfect person to stand between that sinful man and holy God. There has to be a mediator. And, of course, we've already learned in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the perfect mediator. He's the sinless priest. He's the sympathetic priest. But now we come to the fifth chapter, and we hear a lot of the same over again in the fifth chapter. A lot of the things that we talked about last week, we hear these things again. And I think the reason is, is, is this. A truth of such magnitude is the truth that we have before us last week and, and tonight. A truth of that magnitude has to be taught over and over and over until it permeates our heart, until it gets into our mind, until we're consumed with the thought of our great need for a high priest. It's only then, only then that we'll see the gloriousness of this message. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And tonight we see him as high priest because he meets all of the qualifications. Now the Jews had their priests down through the years. We've talked about some of those priests. But now they have what they really need. They have a great high priest. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, their great high priest and how Christ as their high priest is more than qualified Uh, to be their great high priest. The passage tonight 
those ten verses really uh, divides itself into two simple sections, and we're going to look at those tonight. And I pray that this truth, again, this week will permeate your heart and, and really, really stir something within your heart, what it means to have Christ as our high priest. The first thing the writer of Hebrews talks about in the first four verses, he talks about a priest that satisfies God's requirements. A priest that satisfies God's requirements. Now, we notice, first of all, in verse number one, and he's going to go through these things with us. In verse number one, he says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. I want to stop right there. The first thing, and if you take a note, you ought to write this down. The first requirement of a priest was this. He had to be a man. He had to be a man. God did not send an angel down here to be our priest. He had to come from among men. The next part of verse number 1, at the end of verse 1, says that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. A priest was required by God to make a sacrifice for sin. Why was that so important, that he be the one to make the sacrifice? Well, it's like this. If you take any problem man has ever had, you can trace it back to one common root. Every problem that man's got. I tell you, every problem that man's got today, you can trace it back to one common root. If you were, call, were to call me up this week and say, Preacher, me and my wife need to talk to you. we got a problem in, your, in our marriage. You know what I'd do? I'd take you back here in my office and I'd say, All right, let's get to the root of the problem. You know what the root of the problem is always, always, always going to be? Sin. Sin. So the high priest was required not only to be a man, but he had to make a sacrifice for sin because sin has always been our problem. And he would make an animal sacrifice. But the thing about a priest was that animal sacrifice never completely atoned for a man's sin. All it did was just delay God's judgment one more year. And then he'd have to make another sacrifice. And that'd buy him another year's time. It's kind of like paying interest on a loan. That's all it did. Uh, then in verse 2, the Bible says that the high priest, it says, who can have compassion on the ignorant on them that are out, uh, that are out of the way, uh, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. In verse 2, the Bible gives the third requirement for the high priest. Number one, he's got to be a man. Uh, number two, he's got to make sacrifices for sin. And number three, if he is the kind of priest he's supposed to be, he's got to be a man of compassion. He's got to be a man of compassion. Uh, he's got to have, uh, it says here, compassion on the ignorant. That's how I got saved. He had compassion on the ignorant. Somebody say amen. That's not really what it's talking about. He's having compassion on the ignorant, and then he's having compassion on them that are out of the way. If you want to know what he's talking about there, when he says that the high priest had to have compassion on the ignorant, some people commit sin and don't even realize they're committing sins. You know that? A lot of things you say, well, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't sinned at all this week. Oh, you did some sins in ignorance, whether you knew it or not. But then there's that other group. Who's that other group? Those that are out of the way. Those are the ones, they know they're sinning, and they're going to do it anyway. They're just directly, uh, defiantly rebellious against God. And so he says here that this high priest, not only has he got to be a man, 
But he also has got to offer sacrifice for sin. And number three, he's got to have compassion on them that sin and they don't realize it. And those that sin and they do realize it. Because you see, whether you sin and don't realize it, or you sin and do realize it, you still, both of you still got the same problem. You've sinned. You've sinned. And you need a high priest. Verse 2 says the high priest needs to have compassion on them. In other words, he's not supposed to condone their sin, but he had to be gentle with them over their sin. You see, the reason he needed to be gentle with them over their sin is the Jewish high priest, he had to remember that he was a sinner too. He was a sinner too. The end of verse 2 shows us that. It says, for that he himself, talking about the Jewish high priest, also is compassed with infirmity. You know what that means? He's got to be compassionate on them and their sin because he's just as much a sinner as they are. And the preacher said amen right there. Now the high priest, he couldn't indulge them, but he had to keep his, his own sins in mind uh, when he dealt with other sinners. That's a, that's a good word for everybody in this building this evening. If you're not careful, you can go to such an extreme dealing with the sins of other people that you just flat forget that you're a sinner too. And that's what he's saying here. He's got to have compassion knowing that he's just as much a sinner as they are. And then finally in verse 4, the high priest had to be appointed by God. Look at verse 4. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but, but he that is called of God. So if we're going through the requirements of the high priest, uh, he, number one, he's got to be a man. Number two, he's got to offer sacrifice for sin. Number three, he's got to be compassionate to those other sinners. And number four, and this is the main requirement, he's got to be called of God. He's got to be appointed by God. The selection of the Old Testament high priest, it was not a popularity contest. A guy did not get to be the, um, the high priest because he was ambitious. And he went to school and he did all these things to get to that place. That's not how he got the job. This is a very, very serious matter. Just anybody couldn't be a high priest. In fact, you might remember, thinking about uh, the, the priesthood, you might remember that King Saul, you remember King Saul, the first king of Israel? King Saul actually lost his right to be the king because he invaded the priesthood. That's why, he, that's why he was no longer king. And then, of course, you might remember King Uzziah. Over in the book of Isaiah, you read, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. You ever wonder how King Uzziah died? King Uzziah died because he, as a king, went into the holy place and tried to burn incense, and God smote that man with leprosy as a punishment. God said, you can't be in here. But I'm the king. God says, I don't care who you are. You can't be in the holy place unless you've been called by God. And of course, one of my favorite Old Testament stories, favorite to me now, probably wasn't favorite to those people. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is how uh, the, uh, the story of Korah, K-O-R-A-H. You remember the story of Korah? Some of you might remember it from Sunday school. How he and some of his guys, they just decided uh, that they were going to make themselves priests. They didn't like the way the priests were doing things. They just decided, we're going to be the priests. You know what God did? God opened up, literally, God opened up a blessed hole in the ground and swallowed them up. So 
Some of y'all going to search your Bible to read that story tonight. It's in there. God said, you're not going to be a priest. You're not just going to decide of yourselves that you're going to go in there and be my priest and represent man before God. God's serious about who serves in this capacity. So God picks the man. So let's walk through these things. He's got to be a man. Uh, he's got to sacrifice for sin. He's got to have compassion. He's got to be appointed by God. Got to be appointed by God. I know we don't have an earthly high priest, but I think this is a good place uh, to say this, especially to any of our men, especially our young men, that may one day want to undertake the work of being a preacher of the gospel or being a pastor. I will say to any man in this building, young or old, if you find it in your life where you want to be a preacher of the gospel or be a pastor, you better make sure God is calling you. Better make sure God's calling you. You say, well, I'm going to go off to Bible college. That's great. Go off to Bible college, but do it after God calls you. If you're going to go off and study to be a preacher, do it when God calls you. I'm fully I've seen a lot of guys. I'm telling you, I've seen this. I've seen guys that thought they had a call on their life, and they announced the calling of God on their life. And I really believe it's between them and God, but it just appears as though they didn't really have a calling because once they got into the ministry, the ministry eat them up and spit them out. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, or gentlemen, gentlemen, I'm telling you tonight. If God calls you to preach, you better surrender to that call. But if God's not calling you, you better find something else to do. Do something else for God. Do something. There's nothing wrong with not being a preacher. If God calls you, you better be one. And surrender it. If God's calling you tonight, surrender it tonight. But listen to me. If God's not calling you, don't do it. Because God takes the, the matter of, 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 of ministering the Word of God. God takes that very, very seriously. So, God's work required a very specific list of requirements. There was this list that these men had to meet to satisfy God's requirements. Now, the Jews, they had priests for years, men that were called of God. They had a lot of good men that served in the priesthood. But the problem with a Jewish priest is he never got the job done. He got it done a little bit, and then he had to do it over again. And he had to do it over again, and he had to do it over again, and then when he got too old to do it, they had to get another guy. And he had to do it over again, and over again, and over again, and over again. And for hundreds of years, the Jews did it that way. The work was never finished until Jesus came. When Jesus came, we find in Jesus a high priest that does the work required of a priest, but he does it in a final and, and in an eternal way. You see, now we come down to verse 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And in this last section, what we see is a priest that surpasses God's requirements. In those first four verses, we see the priest that satisfies God's requirements. Verse 5 through 10, we see the priest that surpasses God's requirements. And, and in this, we get to the meat of the text. Those earthly high priests, they had their requirements. Let's go through them again. He had to be a man. He had to offer a sacrifice for sin. He had to show compassion on those that he ministered on their behalf. And then that fifth, that fourth thing, he had to be called or appointed by God. Now, in the last 
section here, the writer of Hebrews, he is presenting Jesus as the man that meets or even surpasses all of these qualifications. Let me tell you why that's important. The high priest represents man before God the Father. Now, y'all come in real close. I want everybody here to listen to what I'm about to say. If you don't get anything else tonight, you better get this. If you're going to trust somebody to go to God for you, you better flat sure be sure that they can get to God for you. Be sure that you're depending on the right one. Make sure he's the one that can get to God for you. Know who you're trusting. Uh, the obvious question these Jews would have had now about Jesus is this. that They say, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, well, Jesus is your high priest. The first question a good Jew would have would be, well, is he qualified? Is he qualified? I mean, that's honestly, that's a reasonable question. That's a smart question to ask because of the importance of what the high priest was doing. But what the writer of Hebrews is going to show us now is not only does Jesus meet the qualifications of being the high priest, but he is more than qualified. He is overqualified to be their high priest. He's not just a high priest. He's the great high priest. He's the better high priest. And so now, one by one, those four qualifications, the writer of Hebrews is going to take those things one by one, and he's going to show you that Jesus not only did what a Jewish high priest did, but he blew that out of the water. He did far more. Far more. Look in verse number 5. He says in verse 5, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. In other words, as a man, Jesus, Jesus didn't call himself. Jesus didn't call himself to be the high priest. According to verse 10, if you go to verse 10, verse 10, speaking of Jesus, says that he is called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus didn't call himself to be priest. He was called by his Father. And so his calling is right. He's got to be appointed by God. There's one man. He's got to be called by God. Then let's look further. In verse 5, But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now the word begotten there is an interesting word. We think of begotten, uh, we think of uh, God's only begotten son. And, of course, we know that God sent His Son into the world, His only begotten Son. We think of that in relation to uh, the Incarnation, uh, in relationship to, to Christmas, that He was the begotten Son of God at Christmas. This begotten right here, in verse number 5, is not talking about Christmas. It's not saying that He was uh, begotten here in that way. His priesthood did not begin in Bethlehem. Do you know that when Jesus came to the earth, he was not a priest? He didn't come as a priest. Then what? when was he begotten into the priesthood? He was begotten or given to them as a priest at his ascension. At his ascension. Now, understand this tonight. When Jesus was on the earth, those 33 years, and especially those last three years when he did his ministry... Jesus Christ was not an earthly priest during that time. Now, you know that. I mean, he never, ever went into the Holy of Holies and made a sacrifice. 
Uh, did you know that the priest had to come from a specific tribe? Any of y'all know what tribe that was? Levi. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi, was he? In fact, Jesus was from the tribe of what, class? Judah. Judah. So right there, during his earthly life, he, he wasn't a priest. While he was walking on water, he wasn't walking on water as their priest. Uh, Jesus uh, never went to the Holy of Holies. He never offered a sacrifice. During that time uh, of his ministry, he wasn't here to do the work of a priest and offer the sacrifice. Beloved, he was the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice during that time. It wasn't until after he had done the sacrificing of his own life, he had given his life as a sacrifice, once the sacrifice of his own body was made and his blood was shed, now, here's what has to happen after Christ shed his blood. Now that blood, that blood of that sacrifice has to make its way into the Holy of Holies to atone for sin. Okay? Now, a good Jew would ask the question right here. How can Jesus be our priest if he is not from the tribe of Levi? I mean, there's no mistaking he's from the tribe of Judah. How can he be a priest for us if he is from the tribe of Judah? And so in verse 6, he explains this by quoting an Old Testament scripture from Psalms 110. He says, as he said in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, let me stop right there. Before there was an Aaronic priesthood, you remember I told you this last week, the first high priest in Israel was the brother of Moses, and his name was Aaron. We know that now. We learned that last week. That's good. However, Aaron was the first Jewish priest mentioned in your Bible. But did you know that Aaron is not the first priest that is mentioned in your Bible? He's not the first priest. If you want to read about the first priest, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 14. And in Genesis chapter 14, you remember when Abraham's nephew Lot got himself in trouble over in Sodom? And the first time he got in trouble, Uncle Abraham runs down there and rescues Lot. You remember that? Abram, Abram goes to war and rescues Lot and brings Lot back home. Of course, stupid Lot goes back to Sodom. After all of that, but, but he did that. He did that. And you remember when Abram brought Lot back, there was a king that met him. It was the king of Salem. Where is Salem? Well, you know it better as Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It was a city king. And his name was Melchizedek. You say, well, that's a king. That's not a priest. Oh, yes, he was. He came bringing... Wine, and he came bringing bread. You see the, the symbols there? Abraham paid a tithe to him. And uh, this king, Melchizedek, he was a king slash priest. This was before God separated the office of king and priest. Uh, and we're going to talk more in, in weeks to come about Melchizedek. He's an interesting character in your Bible. But he was not only selected by God back in Genesis to be a priest, uh, he was also a king. And now it says that Jesus 
is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, he's not a priest. He's not qualified to be a priest based on his Levitical, his Aaronic line. He's, he's qualified to be a priest because he's in the order of Melchizedek. What, what, what do you think about when you think of Melchizedek? Oh, that priest that came offering blood and bread, wine and bread, that priest who was also a king. And you see him now, he's presenting Jesus to them as their great high priest. And he says, let me tell you why he's your great high priest that surpasses all the other Jewish priests. Because not only is he your high priest, he's also your king of kings. You see, tonight, sitting on the throne in heaven, not only do I have my high priest there, but my high priest is also the king of all the universe. Isn't that glorious? Handpicked by his father. That's the first one. He's got to be appointed by God. Notice what else he says about their high priest in verses 7, 8, and 9. He says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong and crying tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience and the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Right here in these verses, you see the next qualification met. And that qualification was that he had to be a compassionate high priest. Remember, that was the other qualification. The high priest had to show compassion. You see the compassion in verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, was strong and crying tears. You see Jesus weeping there, weeping bitterly. Now listen, you never fully understand anybody until you walk where they walked. Oh, Joe South used to sing, walk a mile in my shoes. You remember that old song? You don't ever fully understand somebody until you've walked a mile or two in their shoes. And what he's showing us here is that Jesus Christ, he came down here and he walked in your shoes. He experienced everything you have ever experienced. And he had great, great compassion, such compassion that when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he began to weep and cry for you. Back in verse 7, that's where verse 7 is taken from. Is taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, where in Gethsemane he cried strong and crying tears. I don't think we fully understand the weight that was on Jesus that night. Those of you that are in the Sunday school class, when we went through the Gospel of John, you remember I told you, uh, on the night of his arrest, he was in the upper room with his disciples. You remember they were in the upper room, and they had the Last Supper. Judas, of course, left to go betray him. Okay, you remember that? And then Jesus and his disciples left the upper room and they walked around that southern edge of the Temple Mount down across the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane. As they made that walk from the upper room down to the Garden of Gethsemane, you got a, a long prayer there in John 17. That prayer was prayed as Jesus is walking along. From the upper room where the Last Supper took place, now walking from there to Gethsemane, I guess about three-quarter of a mile walk. On that walk, Jesus prayed in John 17 what is known, ironically, as the high priestly prayer. And that priestly prayer he prayed 
took him into the garden of Gethsemane. And there he continued to pray for us. And verse 7 said he offered up prayers with strong and crying tears. There's his compassion. Unto him that was able, look at this, verse 7, to save him from death. That's an interesting phrase. You need to pay close attention. Underline that phrase, save him from death, in your Bible. It probably does, I know it doesn't mean what you probably think it means. Tell you what it means. He's not praying that his father would save him from dying. That's not what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane at all. In fact, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew he was going to die. He wasn't trying to avoid death. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus knew he was going to die. That's why he came to this world, was to die. If Jesus had wanted to avoid death, he wouldn't have had to get over in Gethsemane and pray for it. All he had done was stay out of Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem on Passover weekend knowing they were going to arrest him, knowing he would be unfairly tried, knowing he would be nailed to a cross. Jesus wasn't being praying that he would uh, avoid death. No, 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 no. When Jesus prayed to be saved from death, he knew he was going to die. After you're dead, how do you get saved from death? You've got to come back to life. You see what, he, see what he's saying? So in the Garden of Gethsemane, watch this. I don't know if this crank your tractor like it does mine, but this helped me. When he was down in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed with great compassion, strong and crying tears. And he said, Father, save me from death. Save me from death. You say that means he didn't want to die. No, no, no. He knew he was going to die. He says, Father, after I die, bring me back to life. Why did he pray so passionately to the point to where his prayer is defined or described as one of strong and crying tears? I'll tell you why. Because if Christ had died on the cross, oh, this is getting good, we're getting closer to Easter. If Christ had just died on the cross and laid in that tomb, you wouldn't be saved tonight. You wouldn't be saved. Because without a resurrection... What's so important about the resurrection? All he had to do was die for our sins. No, that's not all he had to do, ladies and gentlemen. The blood had to be offered for our sin. Now listen, a dead Savior can't take the blood to heaven's holy of holies. There had to be a resurrection because he's the only qualified high priest, but a dead high priest ain't helping nobody. Are you following me? So there in the garden, he says, Father, I know I'm going to die, but oh God, for their sake, God, I pray you'd raise me from the dead so I can take the blood of that perfect sacrifice and bring it back and pay for old Leroy and old Tommy and old Junior and old Shaq's sins. Thank God, I know the rest of the story. He, he knew how bad my eternity depended on his father raising him up out of that, that tomb. He had to come back to life because he had to be my high priest. If I didn't have a high priest, you'd say, well, I like to think of Jesus as my Savior, and I like to think of him as my Lord. Honey, if you're going to heaven, you better thank God he's your high priest because without a high priest, you don't get to God. You don't get to God. Oh, he's alive today. He's in heaven. He's fulfilling the work of the high priest. What, 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 what was that work? I told you, you can't be saved without a high priest. Look at verse 9. That's what he tells you. 
He says in verse 9 that He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. You say, well, that appears as though He's saying you've got to work your way to heaven. No, no. When He says obey Him, that, He's not talking about keeping the Ten Commandments there. Put this verse in your margin right next to verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 says that God one day in flaming fire will take vengeance on them that know not God and those that obey not the gospel. What he's saying there in verse 9, he says he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey his gospel. What is his gospel? His gospel says you've got to get honest about the fact that you're a sinner. His gospel says you've got to come and by faith, you've got to trust in his completed work his sacrificial work on the cross, you've got to believe in His resurrection to be your high priest. And then you've got to go and confess Him as your Lord and Savior and follow Him. That's His gospel. If you will obey those things, the gospel, do what the God, there's only one way to be saved. It's God's way. If you'll obey His way to get saved, He will be the author of salvation in your life. He's the perfect Lamb of God, slain for our sins, and he's the great high priest that takes the blood of himself and pays for our sins. Listen, he died on earth to get me saved. He lives in heaven to keep me saved. As long as my high priest is on the throne, I'm not going to be lost again. I'm never going to be lost again. He is perpetually my high priest. Are you making that up, preacher? No, the Bible says he ever Liveth. Can it get any plainer than that? He ever liveth. For what? To make intercession. The work of the high priest. And so from now until Wednesday and beyond, I'm saved. Because I have a great high priest that is always, ever living to make intercession for me. You get him out of heaven off of his throne stopping the priestly duty, then I could go to hell. But you can't and I ain't. Amen. I'm not getting to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm getting to heaven because when the Father looks at me, the Son says, Now hold up, Father. That one right there is one of those that trust me what I did for him on Calvary. That, that right there, that boy right there, his sins are over there under the blood on heaven's mercy seat. Listen, I never had anybody do anything like that for me until Jesus came along. And I'm tell you, you've never had anybody do, like, do that for you. And the Jews have never had a high priest to do that for them. There's nobody else that can do for you what the great high priest did. And tonight, you need to know He loves you. He paid the price for your sins. And if you're ready to have your account settled with God, I'm telling you what, there's one that can get you settled tonight. You've got to have a mediator. And there is one there. Well, the question is, is he qualified? Is he qualified? I mean, it's an honest question. It's a good question. I, I, I mean, I wish the Muslims would ask that question of Muhammad because he's not qualified. I wish those Chinese would ask that question of Buddha, Confucius. Is he qualified? Is he qualified? They're not qualified. Is Jesus Christ 
qualified to be your high priest. Well, let's see. You've got to be a man. Christmas, he handled that. <laughs> He's got to offer a sacrifice for sins. Calvary, he handled that. He's got to have compassion and be taken up from the dead to be your high priest. Easter, he handled that. He's got to be appointed of God himself. Done. Done. It's handled. So is he qualified to be your high priest? He's more than qualified. I mean, he outdid himself. And he can do for you what you can't do for yourself. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father without a high priest. Without a high priest. But that's not the way Jesus said it. Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. He's the only high priest. He's more than qualified. You let that permeate your heart tonight. And when you start thinking about how good it is to be saved, you start thinking about how good it is to know you're going to be saved tomorrow. And you're going to be saved Tuesday. And you're going to be saved Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And next Sunday you're going to come in here born again if you're born again right now. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way. 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.